Hey humans, it's your host, Amy Bashatz, and I'm so excited to share this best of episode with you today as we get ready to launch season four of Humans Outside, September 2nd. This is a really good one with recreational therapist Judith Sedora looking at why nature is perfect for therapy. This episode is one of my personal favorites because it's full of practical tips and information. Please enjoy this best of rebroadcast of How to Use the Outdoors as Therapy with Judith Sedora. Welcome to the Humans Outside podcast, where we focus on heading outdoors from our perch in Alaska while hearing from fascinating outside-minded guests. I'm Amy Bouchotts, and since 2017, I've spent at least 20 consecutive minutes outside every single day. On this show, we hear from others who make heading into nature just a part of who they are too. Ready? Here we go. If you've been listening to the Humans Outside podcast, it's probably because you have at least a suspicion that spending time outside is more than just good for you in some sort of figurative sense. You probably have seen its impact on yourself or maybe have just seen a hint of it, enough to know that you want more. And you probably know by now that I am a shameless outdoor pusher. That's what the whole at least 20 minutes outside a day thing is about. And it's why my family and I moved to Alaska in 2016 without ever even having been here looking for a way that we could change our lives to be more outdoor centric. Today's guest, Judith Sedora, has an incredible story of her own and has made her outdoor therapy more than just a part of something she does for herself. It's how she both makes a living and gives back to the world. A licensed marriage and family therapist pursuing her doctorate in marriage and family therapy at North Central University, Judith specializes in wilderness therapy for adolescent boys and young adults, particularly those of colors with parent and child conflict or mental health issues. And I'm so excited to have her share her story here and some of her wisdom today. Judith, it's an honor to have you on the Humans Outside podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Amy. It is such an honor um, and a blessing to be on here. So thank you for inviting me. We start all of our episodes imagining ourselves just hanging out and chatting in our guests' favorite outdoor space, like having these conversations that the backcountry seems to make perfect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. where are we with you today? Ooh, where am I? I thought about this. Um, so I am in Garbaldi Lake in BC, British Columbia. Um, went there with my husband for our honeymoon and went back again afterwards a year later. But yeah, we're on the glacier, Garbaldi Lake, um, just camping and just looking at the mountains. And yeah, it's beautiful. And if this is like a glacier, like it's like that perfect blue color. Yes. Sort of magic blue. Yes. It's that magic blue. It's kind of cold. Yeah. I'm not not getting in because it's cold. (laughs) (laughs) But my husband is getting in because he loves doing that. He did that. I was like, how can you go in? How? Oh, my gosh. But yes, that's my that's my spot. I often think about that spot because it's just so beautiful, so clear, so crisp. Um, and so, I don't know, it's, it was a long trek to get up there and the view was absolutely worth the difficulty of carrying that pack up the mountain. That is the, that's the best part. And kudos to you, by the way, for backpacking for your honeymoon. (laughs) Yes, we did do that. We had to, it was a way to kind of, how do you say, break in, um, yeah. the next few years of our lives, you know, I like it. I like it. 
So talk to us first about wilderness therapy. What is it? And give us the lowdown on how it's different from therapeutic recreation, because that's an important difference here. Yeah. Um, wilderness therapy. I mean, I think even recreation, um, therapeutic recreation, they all fall underneath experiential therapy. Um, and so it's just a different way of doing therapy and working with individuals um, that isn't talk therapy. I mean, you still talk, obviously, but you're using hands-on experiences um, to really work with the individual. Um, they're able to process, to access um, um, deeper levels of even sometimes consciousness that maybe wouldn't happen if you're doing talk therapy. Um, and so a lot of things come up in terms of emotions and feelings and responses, um, even triggers while you're doing experiential activities. And wilderness therapy just provides a container and a space to be able to do that um, in regards to the therapeutic work. But also, it's just a great modality in terms of um, just being out in nature. Uh, we know that there's such such amazing benefits, uh, healing benefits, um, mm. when being connected to nature and experiencing it um, to the, just the human soul, the human body, um, the mind, and the spirit. And so, um, with those benefits, it's just so much more effective to be able to kind of I don't want to say detach. Um, from the front country so much, but to at least recenter yourself, um, mm -hmm. to get in a place of, of, of limiting the distractions, limiting, limiting the chaos, the noise, um, in order for your body to regulate, self-regulate, um, and be in this consistent place of, um, what I say, this, this, uh, yeah, just regulating place where you're actually able to, to think more, to process, to soothe, to breathe, um, it's just, yeah, it's just, there's just a, an amazing, um, ability that just nature provides in a human being, an individual with that. So, um, talk to me about the difference though, between doing this with a therapist and maybe taking yourself out to, um, recreate and calling it, oh, this is my recreational therapy. Um, is there, is there a difference between those two things? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, you're, you're never, you're probably the first person that has asked me that question. Even as you ask that, I mean, I'm like, wow, nobody has ever asked that question. Cause a lot of times we lump some, right. I've done that where I'm like, you know, I go on a hike and I'm like, this is my therapy, you know, before I became a therapist in some ways. And so, um, but we don't realize that there is somewhat of a difference when you have the support system and the support team of a mental health professional helping you through the process of, um, of whatever it is that you're going through while also being in nature. So yeah, very good question. I would say the biggest thing is, um, I mean, competency level, obviously as clinicians, we go to school, we get a degree, um, we get an education. I'm not saying it's everything because there's a lot that you don't learn in school. Um, even just as a, as a therapist of color, I realize so much that's just not being taught um, in the educational system in regards to how a lot of these modalities and these therapeutic approaches um, affect or relate to people of color. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I think the biggest thing is obviously competency level, your understanding of um, how to build relationship. I think that's the biggest part. Um, I think as a therapist, I can say all day long that, um, yeah, my treatment, um, process, my modality, my therapeutic lens, you know, the theory that I use 
is so beneficial for the work that I do and, and, and probably is the most effective um, that it is in regards to therapeutic outcomes, right? I can say that, but it's not necessarily true. We actually have something that's called with, within our um, uh, marriage and family therapy and psychology as a whole, I believe, but it's common factors and it's breaking down what exactly, what, what exactly contributes to the effectiveness of um, therapeutic outcomes with individuals, right? Increases mm-hmm. their, um, their experience um, to be hopeful and, and, and to create change and such. And what we've noticed is that the biggest factor, the biggest factor is alliance and joining and relationship building. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing that makes therapy effective. And so as a therapist, um, what is your ability to join and to connect with your clients? And do you know how to do that? Um, I think that's what's that's what separates us as therapists from maybe um, some laid people of just, you know, and even just ourselves is is the idea that we studied or should be studying as therapists, should be challenged as therapists to know how to really create space for people. And mm-hmm. so my job is specifically focused on first creating space for my clients making sure my clients feel heard, they feel seen. I don't have an agenda um, necessarily. I'm not there to fix them um, or to change them, but really I'm just there to create a safe space for them to process their trauma, process their mental health, and doing it within a space like nature, which is a very safe container. So it's almost like I use nature as my um, my co-therapist. We talk about co-therapy. I did co-therapy in my practicum quite a bit where it was just me and another therapist in a room um, with my clients. And I like to say that nature is my co-therapist mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so, and, and what that just means is I create a container and, and nature creates a container to be able to um, see, allow clients to process um, their trauma, their emotions, their feelings, um, their hardships and such, even just their relationships, their dilemma in terms of their relationships with their parents and um, friends and things like that. So, so yeah, I think that's what, that's one of the the most important things I think that separates us from, um, separates a therapist being able to work with a client in nature um, from someone just going into nature right. and experiencing it on their own. Why does nature make that good make such a good container and, you know, a co-therapist in a way? Um, it just, I mean, it doesn't change. Mm. Um, it doesn't change. It's yeah, it's consistent. Um, it's, it's unreliable in a way that you never know what you can get, right? Nature can be like, you know, we're going to hail today. I went camping with my husband this weekend and it rained. And then we thought the rain was going to be over on Sunday morning when we woke up from our tent and it had started hailing on us while we're making breakfast. I'm like, what the heck? So, I mean, so nature is unpredictable in regards to some of that, which is awesome because it it, it creates this space of the things that are so outside of our control, right? Like that is so outside of our control. And how do I navigate? um, I, I struggle with without doing recreational activity in the rain and snow. I actually really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. I get really, really cold easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it makes me, it makes things miserable for me. So I am more so of a summer, warm spring type of person, outdoor recreational person. Um, but even in that hail yesterday morning, I sense my frustration, my irritation, my anxiety. Um, my nervous system started to, you know, Jack right up. And it started to affect the way I was communicating with my husband and interacting with my husband. And so, um, so yeah, I think nature has an ability to show you who you really are. 
Yeah. <laughs> to and be again, honest. It's that, it's that moment where we say that we can, um, you know, um, change the things we can and let go of the things we can't. Right. Right. It's the rainy to pay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, um, insert that here, like literally any <laughs> circumstance, but also nature. Right. Exactly. And talk about the ultimate moment where you, okay, you can spend your whole life thinking that you actually can change a person and that serenity prayer is a bunch of crap. Right. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, you work on it and you work on it and then you think, okay, we're good now. And then you wake up one day and you find out again, you're trying to change a person who's not mm-hmm. you. Um, dag nab mm-hmm. it, right? Well, mm-hmm. guess what? Like that will never be successful with nature and you will never think that it's actually working. So- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it will remind you that it's not working. Yeah. Every day. It, it, like it will hail just to like rub it in. <laughs> rub it in, rub it in. And on top of that, I mean, where it holds you in the container is that it is reliable at the same time. It's mm-hmm. consistent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a whole lot of distractions. Um, it's there's this, it, it can hold. I mean, there was a, I'll take an example. Um, so last week or two weeks ago, I went out and this is right after the marches and the protests happened. Of course, I have clients of color and it's, it's my due diligence. And on top of that, um, the right for me to share with my clients in the back country, what's going on in the front country, especially when it affects them at such a global level, right? Mm-hmm. And so I went out there and I brought, you know, I brought um, videos, I brought the information on George Floyd, murder, and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, hey, and I and I processed. It. I had a group with my kids, um, and this is a, this is a diverse group of kids. I have kids of color in here, and also I'm combined with another therapist who also has kids that are not of color, right? Mm-hmm. Um, white white clients as well too, and. And the, and the process was hard. And I had a few of my kids, one had to walk away and go sit far, far away on a rock. Um, <laughs> we had to keep eyes on them far, far away and just like cry and weep. Um, another one had to take a stick and go an opposite direction and just bang on the tree, you know, just continually hit a tree. Um, and, and these are my clients of color. And, and so wilderness holds that space. I mean, it's there to say, I get it. I hear you and and go ahead. Like feel all the things that you feel. Um, there's nobody, there's no parents, there's no, there's no police officers, there's no authority figures that's saying, don't do that, don't do that. I mean, we allow these kids to experience what they experience, feel how they feel in a safe container, and then to come back in and check in with themselves on identifying, okay, what was coming up for you? What's happening there? How is what's happening in the front country connect to your everyday lived experience as an adolescent male of color living in this world, right? And so mm-hmm. so that's what I mean by wilderness holds the container. It slows everything down where a kid can actually feel like they don't have to live up to certain expectations or boundaries or rules in order to save face, right? They can just right. process what they need to process in that safe container to eventually lead to healthy um, processing skills, right? Healthy self-regulating skills. Eventually we want to help these clients develop that. And that's how Wilderness just is a great co-facilist, co-therapist. I love it. Yeah, that's great. I got hundred percent goosebumps while you're talking about your clients mm. <laughs> um, dealing with those things, because I mean, yeah. that's just such, those are just such raw moments. Um, and I think that we, you know, I've seen in my own family, my, my husband has dealt with post-traumatic stress and he's got mm-hmm. traumatic brain injury. Um, and he uses the outdoors as his own solitude. I mean, that solitude aspect, right? So he's, right. he's out there, not in the care of a wilderness therapist, but, um, 
out there processing this stuff by by hiking the mountain. You know, we have we have a joke in our family about how you know we're going to go see if the mountain is still the boss, right? Mm. You know, can I get mm. up the can I get up this like wicked bad trail um, without you know wanting to die? And because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. all trails. Important note: all trails in Alaska, or most of them, go straight up. There, we don't believe in switchbacks here. And in fact, when there are switchbacks, people complain that the trail is too long. Like, why did it take so long to get to the top? To get there? Yeah, yeah it's just ridiculous. So, <laughs> so these true. trails have like these really steep inclines and you go up as, you know, you're trying to go up as fast as you can and you get to the top and you're you, maybe you're a third of the way and you're like, I'm the boss today. I am the boss of this mountain. And you get mm. to the top and you remember that you are not the boss. The mountain is still the boss. Um, <laughs> exactly. But, but, you know, but the mountain doesn't change. The mountain will always be the boss. And you can mm. go out there and think that you're going to be the boss today and you're not. Um, mm-hmm. But that's reliable, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just such a great way to work through, like, I'm trying to be the boss just in general. And it's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very much it's so. It's not a thing. It isn't. And and the greatness, the greatness of being able to um, correlate that to your everyday life. I think oftentimes I share too, like if we're, if we're in the business of outdoor venture, whether it's wilderness, wilderness therapy, whether it's like an after-school program to take kids out in the wilderness or to do like take them out fishing or camping, or even whether it's our own individual um, expeditions. I think that if we're not in the business of connecting the tools, the skills, um, that we learn out there in the back country to the front country, if we haven't bridged mm. that gap yet, then we're, 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 we're not learning something. Right? right. And so I'm, I'm taking kids, the kids I work with are from New York city, from California. I mean, they're in major areas and some of them have never, um, they've never experienced nature the way that wilderness therapy provides nature. They've experienced nature. They just don't realize how much they experience nature in their own everyday life, but not to the, in the context that we offer in wilderness therapy, at least not that extreme. And right. so my biggest work is, is how do we bridge this to when you go home? What does nature mean to you? And, and the tools and skills that you've learned, um, how nature held you as a, as a container and your emotions and your feelings, you need that from your parents, right? Like, you want your parents to be nature, to be able to be right. a container for you, for when you are feeling your emotions, you're struggling and you're trying to process things, especially if you're processing things in regards to racism or mm-hmm. racial identity development or even just trauma, depression, anxiety, substance abuse. You would love for your parents to be a container like wilderness is. So how do we have those conversations to facilitate that and help kids advocate for themselves in yeah. effective and assertive ways in that way? So I think it's super important for us to learn how to bridge the experiences that we have in wilderness in the back country to the front country. So I was going to ask you if you if you see whether nature heals mental and emotional trauma, but what I'm hearing you say is that nature doesn't heal it. It gives you an avenue for learning to heal it. Does yeah. Yeah. I, I, I believe so. I mean, like I think because there's so many, there's so, there's so many ways to heal trauma. Um, talk therapy heals trauma in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, um, it great. You know, you see a therapist in an office. I mean, I do, I see a therapist not out in wilderness. I have a therapist that I see in office and that's helped me so much. So there's so many ways to heal or at least embark on the journey to healing for your trauma and your like wounds. But I think that there are just different, different things out there that create, um, a pathway to that. And I think nature is one of them. Um, I also do think that nature, um, it can, it, it really just allows us to slow down 
which I think mm-hmm. is super helpful in a busy world where we can be so overworked. Um, we're so, we're so much a society that it's kind of the me society. It's about self. Um, it's about achievements. It's comparing ourselves to others. Um, it can just be really, really absorbed around those things. And I think nature allows us to slow down a bit. So, um, so even though there are different modalities that can treat trauma and different things that can treat trauma, I, it, you know, it doesn't dawn to me that nature has a lot of benefits that I feel like every family should be connected to in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, so you've talked about your work with, um, you know, these kids who are maybe from New York city or for somewhere where they have access to nature, but it's not the nature that, um, so many of us close our eyes and see, right. you know, it's not nature in the, you know, it's maybe it's a city park, not a mountainscape. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that the benefits of getting out there for in the wilderness are more or less apparent um, for those who have not had consistent access to that, you know, more traditional outdoor sense? Yeah, I think it's harder. Um, I, I I was born in Jersey in the city mm-hmm. and lived like 20 minutes away from the George Washington Bridge until I moved upstate New York Um when I was in 10th grade, starting 10th grade, which is a predominantly um, white um, neighborhood. But before that, I, you know, lived amongst, hey, I'm Haitian, Haitians, Dominican, Puerto Ricans, African-Americans, um, as diverse as it can be. Uh, and I didn't have, I was in nature. I remember to this day, I can recall walking to school every, like anytime I was going to school, I walked and how I enjoy getting up and going for my mm. walk with my friends, just walking outside from town. And, and I, sometimes my school would be a little bit far from home and it was safe enough to be able to just walk, you know, um, to school and to be outside to catch the bus or to ride bikes, um, or to even play outside. And so that was a form of nature for me, but I never knew if you would have brought up hiking to me, I would have been like, what is that? You know, but to me, if you would explain what hiking is, I would have been like, oh, so what I do every day to go to school, just out in nature, like out in the middle of nowhere. Um, (laughs) But that's identifying nature to me. Yeah. But yeah. It's it's funny because when you said that, I uh, remember my first time trail running and I was like, wait a minute. So you you mean that trail running is just hiking, but faster? Like. Exactly. So I've been doing it this whole time, sort of, but exactly slower, like exactly. what you call what you call. I mean, maybe like if you're a slow runner, that to me that looks like hiking. Like it's the same. So yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. different shoes and better snacks. You know, it's just you know what's really the difference here. So yeah, exactly. So I think it really is about changing the narrative around what nature is. I think oftentimes mm-hmm. when even when we go on social media, and and I'm guilty of this too. I'll sometimes put most likely put more pictures of me doing a a extensive, extensive trek, you know, or planning for a, um, a a long camping trip out in the middle of nowhere where it's easily accessible to me, but I'm also privileged. I understand my privilege with education and where I live that allows me to have some of that. But, um, oftentimes we do see on social media or advertisement or, or even, you know, outdoor magazines where it's just about nature looks a certain specific way. You know, it's pretty much like the cover an REI, um, cover of being out in nature. And I wonder what it looked like to kind of, 
um, create more narratives of what nature looks like, whether it be a basketball court, whether it be a walk around the park, whether it be a garden in your backyard, even if it's a small backyard, um, it can be a different pots of plants in your backyard, even yeah. in your home, having plants, indoor plants, um, whatever it is. So I, yeah, I do wonder if, if we're able to break down the narratives around what nature is, then more people will see themselves in nature. Yeah. They'll feel like they have more access to nature. And also there's this idea of there is a fear in terms of going out into the wilderness. I right. have I have I have friends of color of mine who since this who express this fear of like going out into wilderness is um is scary. Um they have high levels of anxiety just being away from people and 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 not having access to their cell phone and such and being so disconnected is pretty scary for them and animals and that kind of stuff. So I think there's there's some fear there too. And I think sometimes that's connected to historical trauma. Mm-hmm. Um it's not like it's not like the black community does not have a history with nature. We right. have a complete deep-rooted history with nature. This country has a deep-rooted history with nature. Native Americans connection to the lands, deep-seated, rooted history with nature. So we come from that. It's just so disengaged and disconnected because of, unfortunately, just systemic racism and and the representation of and who has access and who doesn't and how that's representative, represent, represented in society and culture. Can't even talk. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. but I mean, it's such a it's such an important point. I, I um, you know, we're talking um, a lot in our society right now, um, across races, right. About this, um, in a way Mm -hmm. that should have been happening for a really long time. and hasn't been. So let's just put that out there. Like, right. Start now. Okay. (laughs) But here we are. So, um, you know, when we talk about representation in the outdoors and, and those images, I think you've really struck on something here. You know, um, I, we think a lot about, you know, oh, outdoor industry should show more people of color in their ads. But what you're saying is outdoor industry should show different kinds of nature in their ads. Forget like just stopping <laughs> with people of color. Yes. But, like, why are we showing beautiful, only like inspiring mountainscapes? Why aren't we showing people in nature where they are? Exactly. Um, and expanding that definition of that. So when I do my outdoor time, I always feel like I have to justify it, right? That I, that my outdoor time is any outdoor time, right? It doesn't, I don't have to be on a mountain peak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my, I spend, I've spent 20 consecutive minutes outside every day for over a thousand days. And one of the things we do on this podcast is talk about that. Um, yeah. And, you know, people always ask me, well, what, you know, what if you live in a city? But the truth of the matter is like outdoor time is outdoor time. Mm-hmm. And, and if standing in, you know, is there like versions of it that are more pleasant than others or versions of it that are more picturesque? Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Is visiting the mountains more fun or more interesting or more picturesque or whatever than walking through your city? Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, but it's, is it, I mean, it's it's nature. Like it's all outside, you know, (laughs) outside time is better than no outside time. Um, And I think that that's so easy to lose sight of. Um, especially in a culture where we're sort of one-upping each other constantly um, mm-hmm. in social media. Oh yeah, oh yeah, so much, so much, so much. I love the way that you um you you pretty much summarized <laughs> exactly what I'm saying in regards to changing what nature looks like um, in advertisement and social media and such. I think that it, oftentimes when I see um, when I can picture the deconstruction of deconstruction of the narrative around what nature is, I think to myself, well, 
um, I wonder how many people of all colors can feel the connection to nature on a deeper level. And what I mean by that, like what would that perpetuate and what would that ignite in people in terms of environmentalists, right? In mm-hmm. terms of taking care of their environments, in terms of taking care of nature, and in terms of um, being environmentally informed about things um, and what they have access to and don't have access to um, and being good stewards of earth, you know, mother earth and, yeah. and what it provides us as um as a community even just the idea of growing your own food i grow my own vegetables my own fruits and i started that about 2 years ago because i was like i want to have i want knowledge i want to i want knowledge also too i want to go back to my roots like this is in my roots you know mm-hmm. of 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 creating and growing your own food and how much have we gotten away from that and i can do that in my home right here in my home. I don't have to go far away. I don't have to, you know, um, trek or, you know, anything like that. So it's just, I think the ability to change what nature actually means and when a person of any color can see themselves in the nature that they are inhibiting every single day, then they're more likely to feel more invested in that. They're more likely to feel more connected to that, which then can possibly open up the door for them to have experiences even outside of their backyard, right? Because if they can see themselves in their backyard and they can connect to that, they connect that to nature and in an environment and how that benefits them and how it's good for their spirit, their soul, their their nervous system, their um, ability to regulate, then what they're probably going to do is try to explore all the more, right, to other things. And now we're back to the container. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hey, humans, quick break from our show to tell you about my Humans Outside 365 Challenge and why you should join me. Back in 2016, when we moved to Alaska, we were looking to the outdoors to help us heal from all the junk being a military family had thrown at us, including injuries from war. But moving here wasn't enough for me. I had to actually make heading outside a regular habit. That's why I started a challenge in 2017 to spend at least 20 consecutive minutes outside every single day, no matter what. Now, you might be thinking that 20 minutes is a ridiculously short amount of time to commit to, or you might be thinking that you're too busy to commit to doing it daily. But I'm telling you right now, 20 minutes is long enough to have meaning and you really do have the time. You just have to make it a habit. Better yet, you can join a whole group of people who are already doing it and want to push you along. My life is happier and healthier than ever before just by going outside every day for a measly 20 minutes. You can see my daily outdoor time and share your own by following Humans Outside on Instagram or tagging your own photos with Humans Outside 365. No gimmicks, nothing to sell you, just time outside that makes your life better. I hope to see you out there. Now, back to our show. find yourself in wilderness therapy what's your why what's my why oh my gosh <laughs> um I think my why my why changes not changes meaning like altogether changes every day but the more and more I'm in this field the more and more my why becomes stronger um mm-hmm. my why great feeling right yeah it's such a great feeling it's so confirming too for me um and just gives me purpose and um I think that it's definitely different from what it was when I first got in. Um, but what, say, what stays consistent is that um, when I I moved to Vegas in 2009 and 
that is when I decided to go on a hike for the first time, went to Red Rock Canyon. Mm. And um, it was beautiful there. And I spent I spent three weeks, not the whole three weeks, but I spent three weeks, most most of that three weeks, um, just hiking different trails, um, especially the Calico Tanks, um, the Red Rocks, and just really gaining um, a better understanding of my emotional and spiritual health. Uh, it was the start of it. And from that point, I just, I fell in love. I just fell in love with hiking what became something that I did, what what was something I did by myself became something I did with everybody. So I would, anytime that I wanted to connect with people or hang out with friends, I would just say, hey, let's go on a hike instead. Rather than, you know, go do the regular same old stuff that we do, let's go for a hike instead. And I had conversations and connected with people. I feel like I was doing wilderness therapy during that time, even before I was even a therapist. I wasn't even, I didn't even finish my undergraduate yet when I was doing that. So it's almost like a foreshadow of, of where I am today, but I would take out friends or take out people that I would meet at church. Um, and I would just say, Hey, let's go for a hike. And we just go walking and we'll just talk about just life and hardships and trials and all the kind of stuff. And so, um, and I just would be there for people, um, and connect with people in that way. So it was, it was, it was like, I was being a container in a container, um, way before. And so I'm just like, it's really dawning on me even as I'm talking to you about this right now, Amy. So it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so I, I, that just started my journey. I went on to get my graduate, my graduate degree in marriage and family therapy. I had a colleague who worked as a wilderness therapist, um, for a program based in Utah. And he told me about it and was like, Hey, have you ever heard of this? I was like, what, what in the world? Never heard of that. I didn't know I could put two of my loves together. And I did a, just a research binge on wilderness therapy, everything, and found an entire industry, an association of wilderness therapy programs um, within this field. The field is predominantly white, um, cis, male, you know, gender. Um, it was founded like that. It's actually, it's progressively um, um, becoming more diverse in terms of female leadership that are in the, that's in the industry, which is awesome. Uh, but nonetheless, is predominantly white. And so as I got into the industry in itself, I, I, and prior to that, even when I was on the trail, there weren't people that looked like me as much. I was like, where are people like, I'm like, oh, nobody looks like me on these trails. Like I'm always the only, you know, one that's person of color that's hiking, camping or backpacking. And that really like um, affected me in a lot of ways. And so um, when I went on to, pursue um, a position in the industry, I I kind of just told myself that I'm just not an advocate. I'm not only an advocate just for mental health for people of color, but also in representation in the outdoors. And the more and more I fall into this work and we have the conversation um, and the more and more I work with clients of color, I, I, I work with adolescent boys, but my specialty is adolescent boys of color. It just happens that I have a lot of clients of color in my group. And I'm totally okay with that, 110%. Um, and a lot of the times, um, these kids are transracial adoptees. So they're mm -hmm. raised by white parents. Mm -hmm. Our industry, um, which I, I would wish and hope and love for it to be more accessible to other socioeconomic um families, but our industry is, pre is predominantly affluent white families. And so the clients I work with are clients of color raised in white and by neighborhoods and white parents. And so I'm doing a lot of race, like this conversation about racism and racial identity. I mean, that is our conversation constantly out in the field yeah. with these kids. And so, because they're in, they're navigating white spaces day in and day out, especially with their families and their families love them and they love their families, but we're trying to normalize those conversations a little bit more. So, um, so 
I would say that I'm a big advocate for um, transracial adoptees, for sure, um, um, kids of color and their mental health for families, for interracial families. I'm an advocate for interracial families. I do believe in integration and how that's healing and effective mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But really having those conversations about racism is truly important in order for integration to work. Um, and then I'm very trauma informed, attachment informed. Um, and also a big advocate of representing people of color and breaking in, 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 in nature and breaking down those narratives and those stigmas um, in regards to people of color being in nature or having accessibility um, to outdoor adventure. Why is it that it is more? I mean, I think we all intuitively know that there's not a lot of representation. We, you know, if you think about it for five seconds, you realize that's true, right? Um, and I think we understand that the what you're saying about it is accessible to affluent white families is, you know, intuitively we know that that's true. Do you have a why for why that's true, and and what um, what folks can do to make that not be true anymore? <laughs> like, what what can we do about this? Ooh, that's a heavy question, huh? Um, yeah, it is a heavy question. So if that's not something you feel like tackling <laughs> right now, uh, a pass is a totally acceptable thing, by the way. <laughs> um, I think that there, there are many different... What I love about this field is I, I'm in one lane. And one of those lanes is the mental health, right? Mm. Aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many other lanes in terms of environmental, social justice in terms of environmentalists right. um, that I'm not necessarily a part of. Um, because I don't have the bandwidth to do all the things. Well, yeah. Um, and, and by the way, <laughs> asking this question without any intention of making you a representative for like solving this whole problem. So please don't, please yeah. don't think that that's, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> totally understand. I understand. That's, that's, uh, I, that is not my intention whatsoever. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a good question. I mean, it's a, it's a question that we all have is why, why, why? And there's so many different answers to why I've heard so many different answers. I know that within um, my industry as a whole, just in general, uh, I mean, insurance, um, accessibility in terms of finances, economics, that that's a big part of it. Um, To be honest, outdoor behavioral healthcare, having to do their own work, that's a big part of it. Mm. <laughs> it takes it, t- but that's that's a lot of industries, right? When right. you have a flu- like affluent white um, industries that are predominantly what it is and dominating in that way, they have to do a lot of their own work, and money tends to be, you know, what talks right. a lot in a lot of ways. Um, there's some narratives also. The narrative that there aren't people of color that have money. I hate that narrative. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. there are people of color that have money. They just don't trust your organization to take care of their <laughs> black children right, <laughs> because right. are you competent enough to work with their black kids? Right. Exactly. So, so there's that, um, in terms of accessibility, I mean, all of that goes back to, um, real estate redlining, um, just how communities were created, how people of color were, um, through systemic racism were required to stay in specific um, areas while white people had access and was a- were able to stay in other areas that had more accessibility to nature and such. And so, so there's just a lot of, there's so much that goes into that question from different an- avenues. Yeah. 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 So I think it's definitely, um, you know, as a middle-class white woman, um, you know, just going to put that out there, like something that I, um, have, uh, you know, when we're recording this podcast, I, I, most people won't hear this until later this year, but I, it is, um, the beginning of June right now. And so this Mm -hmm. is something that we've been grappling with a lot. And I, um, 
would have always said that I was, you know, oh, you know, I'm aware, I'm an advocate and all this, all those nice things to say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, fully aware that that is not the case, <laughs> mm-hmm. the way that I would have um, hoped that it was, right? Yeah. So I've been, I've been um, staring down that and I know a lot of, um, a lot of my white friends have too. And so just a big old apology to the whole world, um, you know, yeah. I said that before right now, uh, too, but saying it again, just so, yeah. you know, like this is just something that we're that we're grappling with. Um, even among my friends who have always considered themselves to be more aware than you know than other folks. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so it's a yeah. it's a big subject right now that we're that we're all working on. And I really appreciate you stepping out and talking talking about that with us because again, we we don't want to sit here and make any one person the representative for something. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, but these are the conversations that move the conversation forward. And so I, I really appreciate that. Of um, course. I, I'm wondering if though, if you can, uh, if we can pivot just a little bit to talk a little bit about the practicalities of um, helping yourself with a little wilderness therapy. We talked earlier about how outdoor therapy by yourself is not the same as, you know, wilderness therapy with a therapist. Um, but if this was something that you wanted to walk yourself into, um, what would you suggest? What, what are some suggestions you'd give people? And when you mean that, you do you mean that in terms of becoming a wilderness therapist? No, I mean in terms of experiencing the wilderness as therapy. Um, oh and, yes, okay. Yeah, and getting those benefits. What what would you suggest to folks? Um, yeah, I think getting outside. Yeah, do it. <laughs> right? right, just do it. I mean, plunge and do it and get outside. Um, if you, I think there there are oftentimes people that's like I've always they thought I've always wanted to you know go. I drive past a trail that I've always wanted to go walk on and I never have because I'm too busy or whatever. I think making the time Mm. and it doesn't have to be anything huge. I think oftentimes people think um, I'm a part, I'm one of the um, board members for Adventure Mamas initiative, Mm -hmm. the nonprofit. And we were having our board meeting um, a couple of days ago and we were talking about like, about, you know, being, I'm not a mom, but obviously my board member (laughs) colleagues are, and they're just like, you know, sometimes at being a mom, I can't picture myself planning a one week trek. You know, that's like, I don't even have the time to do that. And so not thinking so big, right? Again, going right. back to what nature means. Nature doesn't have to be this big old thing. It can be going for a walk. It can be taking your bike and riding your bike um, around the block. I also understand that um, that's also a privilege, right? For people. We talk about um um, certain people who have access and certain people who don't have access, even to a bike or walking around a neighborhood. And is it a safe neighborhood and such like that? So I think it's just finding, um, fi- literally just finding one thing that you feel like connects you to something that's bigger than yourself. Because that's what I think about when I think about nature, right? Yeah. It's when you're when you're wanting to get grounded, it's really the aspect of, um, pondering on what is greater than me, something that can center me, something that can make me feel this sense of presence. I'm Christian. So God is a big factor of what's greater than me. And he uses nature to connect to me in that way. And so for me, um, even just being in my room where I have plants in my room and then sitting down, putting some music, some Christian music, we call it worship music on, that is a sense of grounding myself and feeling connected. And I can smell the plants. I have lavender. I love essential oils and smelling that gives me, but I open my window, right? I have sunlight that's coming in and I want to, I want to smell the air as well too. That helps me feel grounded and connected to nature in some ways. I often think that, 
um, as human beings, learning how to regulate your nervous system is, I mean, it's such a priority. We're seeing that in research so much that um, trauma, it's its stored in your body. It's really stored in your body. When you're thinking about chronic illness, when you're thinking about uh, mental illness, when you're thinking about all these different things, the body keeps the score. If you've never read that book, that's a good book to read. The body does keep the score and it holds trauma in a lot of ways. And so when you're able to adapt to these, um, at least practice some of these regulating skills and tools like breathing, meditation, we know it, yoga, exercising, getting outside in any kind of way where it's safe, um, for you, that is a really great way to access that deeper side, like that deeper part of you in terms of your mental health. Awesome. That's such, so I just love that how we've, um, been expansive with our term of nature today that right. it's not, cause you know, we think again, we think about it in all these ways. And of course, one of them is just being outside. Right. But you're saying even that is not necessarily the next step. I mean, it's a step, but it's not necessarily what you have to do. Because yeah. you have plants in your room and you're opening the window and you're listening to some birds through it and and you're inside. Exactly. Um, experiencing <laughs> nature in that in that way. That's just I think that's just an incredible um uh accessibility thing, right? That mm -hmm. we've we've made we, you just made nature 20 times more accessible to somebody listening to this than it was before they started listening to this podcast. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Because, because you've introduced a, a way to think about it that maybe they hadn't thought about before. So thank you. Yeah, that's of awesome. course. Of course. I think that's so important. And you know, of course I'm not minimizing the big old treks. I love the big old no, treks. I love going up to the mountains and, you know, getting completely isolated and disconnected in the world. Those are so fun. But I think there's a spectrum to nature that oftentimes we as human beings forget that exists. Right. And everything has its place. Like you can't take a big old trek every moment mm -hmm. of the day or else mm -hmm. you'd never have a job. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. We got to work, you know, got to work to make the fun happen. I just, you know, it's like, uh, it's sort of a version of living for the weekend, but <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then with situations like COVID happening, I mean, you have to, I mean, that, that made us change mm -hmm. things up. We had to switch things up of like, oh my gosh, now what do we do? Campsites and campgrounds and stuff are closed and we can't, we're, we're social distancing, you know, yeah. and we can't even go out in nature, which is social distancing. So um, I think this is a great way to help us again, take what we learn out in the back country into the front country. So we're not in panic mode and filled yeah. with a whole lot of anxiety and don't know how to function in the front country. So good. Okay. So obviously we could talk about this all day, right. <laughs> uh, but let's shift gears a little bit, close it up. Talk to us. What is your favorite outdoor gear? Give us the lowdown. Oh my gosh, my favorite outdoor gear. Oh, um, my hammock. I love oh. the hammock. Um, so yeah, good. emo hammock. I mean, we we just take it, and whenever it's really warm out, hang it up. It's perfect. Like you can just you can just Do you sleep in it. I mean, like overnight when it's warm. Only when it's warm. When it's cold, ooh, it is hard. I mean, they have gear for that to make it a little bit warmer in terms of they the padding. They have gear for everything. Yeah, they have gear for everything. It's ridiculous. But nobody, I don't want to pay all that money for extra no. gear. So I'm like, yeah, I use it when it's warm out specifically. Nice. Awesome. Yes. What's your most essential gear? Like something you can't live without? Oh, my gosh. Right now, especially when I go out into the field, um, the Kahlua Peacloths. Have you heard of them yet? No. Oh, you have to follow them on Instagram, the Kahlua Pea Cloth. I'm kind of putting a plug for them. Okay, but cool. they like have, that. yeah, they're pea cloths that they've created specifically, and they have designs on one side of like all types of design. I have like three of them, but it is just the instead of carrying paper, yeah, you know, paper all the time, you have that, and it's just made with material that um, absorbs, and it's so easy to clean. I love Amazing. it. Amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I'm, we're gonna end this podcast. I'm gonna Google that pronto because uh, that's. I mean, talk about real life. Hello, like <laughs> <laughs> they're amazing. Uh, and I, I have sons and a husband, right? So they don't have the same problems I have. So. They don't. Exactly. <laughs> this thing is like so amazing. And then you hang it. It's so funny sometimes though, because when I'll be out in the field and staff, because like I, I hang it on my, you can hang it on your backpack yeah. on, your, on yeah. your whatever. And staff will go, oh, what's that? And go to touch it. I'm like, oh, oh. don't touch that. Don't yeah. touch that. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. But I mean, again, real life, like these are, these are, these are some real life problems that maybe people who are listening to this are like, you know, testing the outdoor waters have not considered. Friend, yeah, yep. a pea cloth is a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's so what you do absorb that information and then we'll we'll move and then check out the show notes and learn more. But like yes. just take it in for a second. Okay. This is a thing. It's okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. Get your clue of peacock. Okay. Ba- like last thing. Close your eyes. Tell us your favorite outdoor moment, the thing that pops to mind. Take us there. If you close your eyes and think, this is a moment I want to hearken back to, you know, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I sometimes I think about it as like my happy place, right? Like, right, right. Where are you and what are you doing? Yeah. Well, I think um, this is something that just keeps coming in my mind. I know it has to do with work, but it is my happy place um, because I just get to work outdoors. Um, but we had a, I am picturing me on the trail with a young adult client that was, has been with us, was working with me for um, like 14 weeks and was transitioning to go home, um, 18 years old. And he decided that he wanted to do a big major trek out. And I remember him and two staff. Um, I can just see them. I could just, I still picture it of him just walking down the trail with the staff as a way of, it's like a rite of passage as a way to end mm. his process. And I just watched him and, you know, and that's, I don't know, that's my, I love that. Like I think of that image constantly. Um, yeah. So that's mine. <laughs> I like it. George, thank you so much for coming on the Humans Outside podcast today. I really appreciate it. Mm, thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it as well. It was so fun. It was great. I love the laughs. Great conversation. That's it for this week's episode of the Humans Outside podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a little love and leave a rating and review to make it easier for other listeners to find the podcast too. Until next time, we'll see you out there. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 